0: This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. We are starting our new topic, and our new topic today is Hilchot De'ot, which the laws of not character traits, traits. We're going to talk about it in the nine days. No. Laws of character traits, maybe next week. <laughs> uh, laws of character traits, but first I want to discuss who the author is. Ramosheh ben Maimon, Rambam. Ramosheh ben Maimon, who is a Talmudist, halachist, physician, philosopher, communal leader, and I was at Baiz Keber today, uh, last week, in Tiberia. He's buried in Tiberia, in Tiberias. They took him from, the, from Egypt all the way to him in Tiberias in Israel. And I don't know what they're, doing. they're doing tremendous renovations over there. And they're building a kind of roof on top of his So uh, He's buried over there. It's not just him. It's a whole, whole lot, of, a lot of rabbis buried over there. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, uh, Rabbi Ambi, Rabbi Asi, all the great, great uh, Tanaim from the time of the Mishnah, buried over there, and he's buried over there, apparently his father is also buried over there, Ram Maimon, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, Maimon also was a Dayan, his main teacher was his father, his, ta- his father was a Dayan, who was a student of Rimagash. Rimagash is a very famous uh, commentator on the Talmud, Rimagash, who was a student of Ravi, Rabbi Yitzhak Alfasi, the Rif, so these are great, uh, going back, so Rama had a tremendous education for his father. And he was born 1135 CE, 1135 CE, for a Rambam, Ramosheb Rambam. Okay. ben Maimon, Rambam, Ramosheb ben Maimon, Rabbi Moses, the son of Maimon, Maimonides, we call him Maimonides in English, Ramosheb ben Maimon, Rambam, his father Maimon was a direct descendant of King David, he was a Dayan, which is a judge in the city's rabbinical court, and his mother passed away while he was yet a small child, okay, so his mother passed away, unfortunately he was raised by his father totally, at the age of 13... You have to talk slower, please. At the age of 13. <laughs> <laughs> at, at, the, <laughs> at the age of 13, the Rambam and his family had to run away from Cordoba in Spain. Yeah, of course. in ra- 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 Cordoba in Spain. If you go to Cordoba to, in Spain today, you'll find his statue. That's the only rem- rem- remnant of the Rambam is his statue. They put a beautiful statue because they love everyone loves dead Jews. Dead Jews, <laughs> everyone loves dead Jews. They'll do anything for a dead Jew. They'll put in small they make museums. Uh, but living Jews, they've got little problems with them. So you go, you go to these fantastic places, you'll find statues of Jews. You'll find manuscripts of Jews. But you won't find any Jews. They don't like Jews. But manuscripts they like, the statues they like. So you go to Spain today, you get Cordoba, you'll find a beautiful statue of the Rambam. It's gorgeous, really, it's a beautiful statue. So they had to run away from Cordoba, even though it was around the time of the golden age of spain was under the muslims people don't realize the golden age of spain was under the muslims before the christian conquest of spain because when the christians conquered spain what happened they exiled the jews 1492 it was under the christians from 1391 the first inquisitions 1391 Mm -hmm. to 1492 100 years of inquisitions and then they exiled the jews and the inquisitions continued and the inquisitions continued people don't realize the inquisitions continued yes, everyone's financial the right infrastructure they continued all over the world wherever the Spanish and the Portuguese went they had inquisitions there was inquisitions in India people don't realize that the Portuguese moved to India and there were Jews in India they, there was inquisitions in India in South America till recently right till about a hundred years ago the last auto de fe was in Mexico they burnt a very famous uh, I can't remember his name what was his name very famous uh, uh, Morano. very famous Marano and they burnt him alive Burnt him, and I think they burnt all his all his friends. So it was just a hundred years ago. That's all. Just over a hundred years ago. People don't realize. Uh, South America, the Inquisition got to South America, Brazil. The Jews of New York, the first Spanish uh, Jews in New York, went to Spanish Jews from Recife in Brazil. They moved here from Brazil. Why they moved here? Because there was going to be an Inquisition. Raise up. People don't realize. It. Anyway, so Rabbam's time, there were no Christians in Spain. It was under the Muslims, and the Muslims wanted back. By the way. They want the whole of Europe back. And there's a slow process of getting it back by silent migra- migrations. They're sending Muslims over to Europe, Turkish and others. They're sending them in. And so if it's pre-imposition, why did you have to away? Because they were, it was the Muslims. The Muslims, there was a fanatic sect of Muslims called the Almohads. And the Almohads, they wanted a Jew-free zone. The Jews had two choices. Either you convert to Islam or you die. Two choices. There's a chair right here. There's either two choices, either convert to Islam or die. So a lot of Jews converted to Islam, which we're going to talk about. And a lot of Jews, uh, they ran away. There are three choices, really. Run away, convert, or die. So a lot of Jews either converted or ran away. Just so much for the Golden Age. Well, it was... Uh, the Golden Age didn't start yet, so just after the Golden But just before the Golden Age started. So... So on the 14th of Nisan, the eve of Passover of the year 4895, 1135, Rambam was born. So when you celebrating Passover, you're cleaning for your house, preparing for the seder. Remember, that's when Rambam was born. Rambam was born on the eve of Passover. And 13 years later, for his Bar Mitzvah present, his Bar Mitzvah present was exiled. He had to run away from Spain. And this, is, this history has been repeated in Jewish history many times. When the fanatic Islamic sect, the Almohads, took control, the Jews were attacked by rioters, many synagogues were destroyed, and Roman's family had to run away from Spain, and eventually they moved to Fez in Morocco. Roman finally moved to Fez in Morocco, where they lived for five years. And they were looking around for a place to stay. They moved, eventually they moved to Israel, six months in Ako, and again, it was intolerable. The Crusaders were over there, and they were just looking for rabbis to ransom off, capture and ransom off for money. So again, they moved, again, they moved to Egypt, and he settled in a place called Fostat, which is Old Cairo, where he lived all his life. And he had, some people say that he would sign his, you'd find signatures of Rambam. I, Moshe Ben-Maimon, signs off his thing, transgressing three negative commandments every day. Because uh, Jews are a negative commandment. is is, you're not allowed to go back to Egypt. There's many commandments not to go live in Egypt. So, <laughs> so he's transgressing the laws of living in Egypt by living in Egypt. But there's no choice. He couldn't live anywhere else. He tried to live other places. There's no choice. So there's a mitzvah for the Torah not to go back to Egypt. He'll not go back to Egypt. You know, not live in Egypt. A uh, different misfortune. So it's ironic that he was uh, living in Egypt. He didn't want to live in Egypt, but he couldn't find a place to live. Is it sti- since it's the that yes. they were? Yes, since it's the not allowed to go back. In fact, one of the laws of the kings, not to have too many horses, because the horses were raised in Egypt. Because he will send the people back to Egypt to pick up the horses, and not allowed to go back. Okay, so he moved to Egypt, and his brother David was the one who was supporting him. He was studying Torah all his life. He had authored his work on the Mishnah, his commentary on the Mishnah, wrote a commentary on the whole Mishnah. And he says in his commentary, he says, "Please, he says, if you find mistakes, it's because I wrote this commentary by heart. I never had any books to look at because I was in my journeys around, uh, in all my exiles, I never had any books." I wrote this by heart. Imagine writing a whole commentary on the Mishnah. You have to know the whole Mishnah by heart. And to write a commentary, you got to know the whole Talmud by heart. He wrote everything by heart. Amazing. And then he wrote his uh, Mishnah Torah, which is what we're going to talk about now. We're going to learn study part a section of the Mishnah Torah. And it's called Mishnah Torah because it's the second Torah. It's very interesting. And this, he got a lot of flack for this. He writes in his introduction, I'm simplifying the Torah for you because the Talmud is only to be understood by very few people, intellectuals, who study the Talmud because it's very complicated. Number one, it's in Aramaic. Number two, it's arguments backwards and forwards. There's no clear definition of what's the bottom line. What is the Halakha? And number three is the laws are scattered in all of a, There's no fix, even though it says Masakhet Shabbat. There's tangents in the Talmud. So you can find a law, for example, looking at the laws of Tefillin. Where are laws of Tefillin? In the, in the Talmud. There's no Masakhet Tefillin. Well, that's what do you do. And the answer is, it's in Mesachet Minachot, which deals with laws of sacrifice in some some reason. Laws of mezuzah, laws of tefillin are in Mesachet Minachot. So how's a person going to do? How's a layman going to look for these laws? So he said, you know what? I'm going to write a book. Concise book of Jewish law. It's not really concise, because today you have all the commentaries. It's like five big volumes over the other on my shelf. This is one of the volumes in Hebrew. And then you have volumes in English. There's a whole shelf full of brown books by Moznaim publishers. Very highly recommended Moznaim publishers. They have a very nice commentary as well. It's an English and Hebrew. Rambam. So he wrote his book, the Mishnah Torah, to give people who don't have that ability to learn Talmud and figure out everything, the ability to be able to study Jewish law in a very beautiful Hebrew. It's Really, I wish, I wish we just followed Rambam because it's such a beautiful... Uh, Hebrew it's such a beautiful layout, there's no arguments, there's no debates, there's just one thing to do and that's it. So today, who follows Rambam? The Yemenites. The Yemenites love Rambam. And you know why the Yemenites love Rambam? I'm not Yemenite, by the way. <laughs> so I wish I was sometimes, just because sphardim, just for that. I mean, I think of- Well, Sephardim, uh, let's not go into that. There's a whole topic about Sephardim. Sephardim are not really Sephardim, but there's different uh, branches, just like Ashkenazim, you can't say Ashkenazim, Ashkenazim. There's different bland branches. Right? There's Lithuania, Galicia, Riyaki. Yeah, same thing with the Yisraeli. But same thing. It's, just, it's a generic term. We lump everyone who's not actually not the Yisraeli. But it's not true. It's but not that's true. the Yemenites on the Exactly, Jewish exactly. The Yemenites right. Yemenites are Yemenites. And then, okay, that's us not go to Yemenite it. gets complicated. Okay, let's not go into it. We're all, we're all Jews. That's the main thing. The main thing is we're all Jewish. Because once we start subdividing, you get to subdivisions. Okay. We're <laughs> not in trouble, but just... We have okay. all accepted Hashem. Exactly. So it's like the t- 12 tribes. So I believe it's a big question. Why did God not say, no more 12 tribes? One tribe. Let's all unite. One Jewish people. Why, do you have to, why does God have to keep 12 tribes? 12 and sons. the answer is, it's like an orchestra. 12 it's like an orchestra. Can you imagine a orchestra with only one instrument? Because you are mm-hmm. Jewish, I'm Jewish. You have your personality, I have my personality. Within the rubric of Jewish law, there's many ways to serve God. You like Biko Halim, I like Lali Torah, you like this. We all do mitzvot. Each one has their own. So that's where we're like an orchestra. Hashem does not want a monolith. And we see this very clearly. Hashem does not want a monolith. Everyone's doing the same thing at the same time. All the will do the same thing. No. You specialize in this area, you specialize in this area. Judaism is broad enough that everyone has their specialty. Just like medicine today. You're a doctor, I'm a doctor. But you're a doctor of lung doctor and I'm a heart doctor. You're a Jew and I'm a Jew. You're a Jew who specializes in Chesed. And I'm a Jew who specializes in Torah or something else. There's different facets of it. Within the rubric of Jewish law, I'm talking about, within, I'm talking about outside Jewish law. I'm talking about in Jewish law, everyone has their specialty. So, like a woman who's cooking for Shabbat, that's her specialty. She cooks for Shabbat, that's her special mitzvah. Or she lights candles, she's, that's her special mitzvah. To I'm saying everyone has their own aspects. And Hashem does not want a monolith. Hashem wants this orchestra. We're all serving God in different ways. Within the rubrics of Jewish law. So Rambam was it's interesting, unfortunately, his brother sunk, his brother had a big accident at sea. The ship was lost. his brother David was supporting him all these years and um Rambam got the bad news his brother was missing at sea. He told his brother, "Don't go, don't go into the Indian Ocean um A lot of people go and they don't come back, but it's you know he's trying to earn a living. He was a job as a merchant, he was trying to import export and um He took a big loans and he took a lot of merchandise, went to India, tried to come back, never came back. So now he died. His brother, his brother's dead. So now he has to support the family, not just himself and his family, but his brother's kids and his brother's wife and pay back all the loans that his brother took. So it says he was in bed for a year. He says he was totally depressed. The Rambam was wiped out. He had no trade, but he did have a trade. And that was he learned medicine when he was in Morocco in those days the best doctors were all Arab Arab doctors it's amazing how you see the civilizations how they, at that time it was the dark ages for the Christians it was the dark ages uh, where was their science and technology amongst the Muslims you see the Muslims were expanding rapidly, the empires were you see the, how uh, Islam, Islam rapidly expanded why? because they were advanced um, and Salah al-Din smashed the Crusaders. And they took over Israel, they took over <coughs> Egypt, took over everywhere. And the uh, Muslim Empire started encroaching Europe. They took over the Balkans, right, the Balkans, and they were verge of taking over, but took over Spain, match they came very close. Right? And they took over the whole of Europe. You. So why? Because they had civilization, civilization with the Muslims. The Muslims had, were civilized at that time. Some of them. And they advanced. They, took, they learned from the Greeks. The Greek. It's interesting. Who was translating these books? And the answer is the Jews. The Jews are translating the books from Greeks, Greeks into into Arabic, from Arabic into English, from English and, and Arabic into Latin. The Jews were the translators. So I call the B uh, the Jews the bees of civilization. The bees. What does it mean? Bee of civilization? It means they were transferring information from one. Uh, nation mean, to another they were, amazing. Disseminating everyone. they were disseminating knowledge right through the world by translating and by moving around so every time they moved around they would take the books with them and they would translate to other languages and, and people had this so it's amazing, are the bees of culture, the bees of civilization so Rambam learnt medicine in Morocco and, and uh, he then became a physician he was hired as a personal physician by a royal courtier and eventually became the personal physician to Salah al-Din the Sultan of Egypt and Syria his new appointments gave him very financial ability however he had now very little time to devote to his learning so by the age of 50 he had very basically written all his books <coughs> so by the age of 50 he had written everything and now everyone wants to come and visit him and he writes a letter to a famous uh, translator because some of his books he wrote in Arabic the, the commentary of the Mishnah was written in Arabic the Moren of Bukhim, the Guide to the Perplexed was written in Arabic but his commentary, which on the Mishnah Torah, which we're going to learn now, is written in pure Hebrew. And later on in life, he regretted writing things in Arabic. But he wanted to write in Arabic because it was a spoken word of the Jewish masses. The Jewish masses he was addressing all spoke Arabic. The Jews of Spain spoke Arabic at that time. The Jews of Morocco spoke Arabic. The Jews of Egypt spoke Arabic. The Jews in Israel spoke Arabic. So he wrote the books in Arabic for the masses. But later on, he had to get translators to translate those books into Hebrew. So Ibn Tibon, one of the great translators and others wanted to come and visit him he said listen he gives them his schedule he says there's no point in coming to see me i have no time in the morning i'm with the sultan and his harem looking after them and then the ministers and their wives and their families and then when i come back i have a whole line of people waiting outside my house to be treated as i'm a doctor and they're waiting over there i said please wait till i have a bit of bite to eat i'm starving and I go and I rest for five minutes and take have a bite to eat. And then I'm busy till the night. One after the other, people coming in. I'm medicine, medicine, medicine. Amazing. So only time I have, he says Shabbat. On Shabbat, I'm with my community. Only time I have to learn is on Shabbat. That's it. Two hours, I can study with them. That's it. So by the age of 50, that's it. He, he wrote his books. And uh, the, one of the major things he wrote was a letter to the Yemenite Jews. This is why the Yemenite Jews love him so much. At that time, the Jews of Yemen were being persecuted and were being converted by the sword. To, uh, to Islam. They're persecuted. A lot of Jews in Yemen did convert to Islam, and a lot, of Arabs, a lot of rabbis were telling them once they converted out, they would never be accepted back. Once you become Muslim, that's it. You're a Muslim, that's it. You go to hell. To hell with you. you Raman writes a letter called Igerit Teman, the letter to the Yemenite Jews, which he says that Islam is not idolatry, and therefore a Jew is allowed, doesn't have to give his life. Not to convert to Islam. Whereas he claims that Christianity is idolatry, according to Rambam. Of course it is. Well, big debate, but uh, he says Christianity is idolatry, that especially Catholicism, where they have all these idols and statues and this and that and the other, and therefore a Jew should give his life and not become a Christian. However, if a person did convert, they can always come back, according to Rambam. Why? Because they were forced. There's nothing you can do to these people, there's nothing the Baiting can do. You can't. There's no penalties. Why? It was done under convert coercion. Anything which is done under coercion, there are no penalties. However, in Islam, you are not allowed to convert back. Yes, the, the Muslims are not allowed to convert they back. They so they he says, run away. Ramam says, run away at your first opportunity and come back to be Jewish. And we'll take you back. You can do teshuva. The so Jew is always a Jew. Yes. The Christians who are forced to convert are known as Moranos. Were they Muslims who were secret yes, Jews? Yes, 100%. And they're the Jews of Yemen. they're that, they were, they were keeping Judaism in secret. And a lot of rabbis says to hell with you. We're not going to take you back. And he was the one who wrote his letter and says we will take you back, and you should come back, run away, and come back. Do they have a name? I don't know. I don't know. No. I don't. I don't know. It's a good question. So Maranos is a very bad name, by the way. I know. Yeah, uh, we call them conversos right? Maranos means pigs. Yeah. So, pigs? Pigs. pigs. yeah. So pigs. The Christians call them oh. pigs. Yeah. Yeah. The new new Christians were called pigs by the Christians. They looked down upon them. You know, they looked down because now they had increased competition. Instead of the Jews, you thought the Jews would convert and now lie low, right? No, the Jews who converted became bishops and cardinals and uh, businessmen one, and bankers, uh, and, uh, and one of you became a pope. Careful with the so, so anyway, so Rambam now becomes a doctor and supports his family, but he wrote his major works. Right. He, and uh, he had a son called Abraham, Rabbi Abraham Ben Arambam, who became the next leader of the, of the community of uh, Egypt. So, um, this is a base, basic just introduction to who the Rambam is. And now let's go into the Mishnah Torah. The Mishnah Torah is, we said, a compendium of Jewish laws, which covers the whole gamut of Jewish law. This is, no one else did this. No one else has a whole. The Shulchanah does not cover the whole gamut of Jewish law. The Shulchanah says, I don't write about things that don't apply today. I'm not going to give you the laws of the temple. I'm not going to realize the laws of sacrifices. They don't apply today. I'm going to give you laws that apply today in exile. That's, that's Shukranah. There's very, even very few laws that apply in Israel. Even though he moved to Israel later on, he had to add certain al Like say Shemitah. Laws of Shemitah, laws of uh, Masir and truma, tithing in Israel. which so only apply in Israel. But it's a very brief. As the main laws of Shemitah are in the Rambam. You want to learn the laws of Shemitah? The Rambam covers everything. He covers Jewish law from A to Z, Even things which don't apply today. Let me give you an example. We know there are two Talmuds, right? There's Talmud Bavli, which is the Babylonian Talmud, and Talmud Yushami, the Israel Talmud. What's the difference? And the answer is Talmud Bavli does not talk about things that never applied in Babylon. They didn't talk about. They don't expand on things that never applied anymore. They were in exile in Babylon. Uh, the, the, The Talmud was written after the destruction of the temple. If they don't go into details, there's no Talmud Bavli on the laws of Shemitah, because there's no Shemitah outside Israel. So Talmud Yushami did talk about it, because it did apply in Israel. It was written in Israel. The Rambam says, I'm going to cover everything. I'm going to cover all aspects of Jewish law. So today, the Shulchanan just limits itself to things which apply today. Doesn't apply, doesn't apply today. He doesn't talk about Mashiach. He doesn't talk about uh, the engathering exiles. He doesn't talk about the kings. The laws of kings. He doesn't talk about the laws of the Sanhedrin, because they never apply today. Rabbam talks about everything. Another, another difference is the shukhanah starts off with the laws of waking up in the morning. And, and it ends off with the laws of death and dying. So it's like the Jewish world, right? I'm going to tell you the laws of waking up in the morning the, up to all the way to the person's death. From the time you wake up to the time you die, it's shukhanah. i give you laws of Jewish law. Rabbam starts off with philosophy. He starts over the belief in God. With what? Belief in God. Uh-huh. Philosophy. Torah, the foundations of the Torah. And uh, he talks about the belief system of the Jewish people, laws of idolatry. And one of the things he talks about right at the beginning is what we're going to study now, Ilchot Deyot, the laws of character traits, which Shulchanah does not talk about. What he does, he talks about it in a few sentences. The Rambam expands upon it. This is a really big fat of Jewish law. And the Rambam ends off with laws of Mashiach so it's global Rambam is global universal I'm going to start off talking about God I'm going to end off talking about the new world the end of the world order Shulchan says I'm going to start off with, with birth and end off with death when you wake up in the morning it's the time a person dies Rambam says I'm going to start off by belief in God and end off with tikkun haolam the real fixing of the world Mashiach so interesting two different concepts Shulchan says I'm going to limit myself to laws which apply on a daily basis Jewish law Ramon says, I'm gonna talk about laws that reply in Jewish law in general. The whole Torah. And therefore the Rabbi says in his introduction, all you have to do is read Tanakh and read my book. And you have the whole Jewish law. Boy, I wish it was so easy, right? Mm-hmm. Have to shut down half the Yeshiva in the world. Because <laughs> they you know, learn Kamara, learn Kamara here, learn Kara, Kamara doesn't I don't help feel you. Good thing. <laughs> I don't know. Let's not go there. Yeah. Okay, I'll get into trouble, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, we don't shut down any Yeshiva. All or, or Torah learning is good. The more Torah learning the better. I could get into trouble. (laughs) But Rambam says, you know what Rambam says? Rambam says, don't waste your time on pilpulim. Yeah. On arguing this and arguing that, because the main thing is the bottom line. What is the halakha? What does the Jewish law say? And therefore he says, I'm going to tell you what the bottom line is, and that's what you should be learning. You should be studying the bottom line. So, it's interesting. So, normally you look at a code of Jewish law, you won't find philosophy in a code of Jewish law. You won't find history in the code of Jewish law. Rambam, you'll find philosophy in the Rambam's Jewish laws. It'll tell you why you're doing it. You'll find history in the Jewish law. It'll tell you what happened. For example, laws of Hanukkah. You can show laws of Hanukkah. just tells you how to light the Hanukkah candles. Rambam gives you the history. What happened at the time of Hanukkah. It gives you what happens to the Maccabees. And the, um, so it's very interesting, which is very fascinating, because from the Rambam, we can apply it to today's society. How? A lot of people say Israel is not a religious state and therefore we don't recognize Israel. Da, 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 da. They give you a whole list why Israel is bad. Look at the Rabbi say, listen, the Maccabean kings were not religious. They were rebels, in a sense, against Jewish history, against Jewish law. Why? Because Kohanim are not allowed to be kings. And they were Kohanim and they became kings. And they used to have things in the temple, they became Sadducees, not just kings, they were Sadducees. They did not believe in the oral in the royal law. And yet it's recognised as a Jewish kingdom. So, you can apply that today as well. I'll say It's a Jewish kingdom. So, it's interesting how Rambam is, is very broad. He gives you the philosophy behind the Mitzvot. He gives you reasons, sometimes not in the Mishnah Torah itself, but he does it. more in the Morin In the Guide to the Perplexity, he gives reasons for Jewish law. But he tells you, listen, I'm giving you reasons, but I don't know if this is the right reason. <laughs> but the fact that Hashem gave us brains means he wants us to think. If God gave us brains, he wants us to think. So even though some mitzvot, the Torah does not say what the reasons are, we should think as much as we can to try and fathom the reason. The caveat is, even though we think it's the reason, we have to think in the back of our minds, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is not God's reason. We don't know what the reason is, really. God knows the reason, but but he says, all the laws, even a chok, which is a statute, has a reason. But we don't know the reasons. God knows the reason. In other words, God does not give laws with no reason. And the example he brings is a, a dictator who wants people to do things at whim. God does not rule the world by whim. God is rational. Very interesting, remember. He's not rational in our sense. He's super rational. He is, but he's rational. There's a reason God gives us laws. Every law has a reason. Every halakha has a reason. And uh, in his introduction to the Mishnah Torah, he tells us there are 248 positive commandments, which corresponds to the 248 limbs of the Jewish body, and the 365 negative commandments. And that's really how he starts off with his Sefer HaMitzvot, the Book of Commandments. Because why? The Talmud tells us there are 630 commandments. When do we learn our 630 commandments? We say every morning and when we take out the Torah, Torah, Tziva, Lanu Moshe, Morasha, Kilat Yaakov, the first line you're meant to teach a child. The two lines you're meant to teach a child, Shema Yisrael, and Torah, Tzivah, Lanu Moshe. Two lines. Imagine the child starts saying, Mama, Mama, no, 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 no. Torah. <laughs> I I went to see my grandchildren, and my son-in-law is trying to teach his uh, son, Torah, Torah, Torah. Uh, He just started saying, Daddy, Mommy, you know. So, Torah, Uh, Shema, Shema, Shema. Okay, so interesting, the first things we teach a child when he starts speaking is Torah Tivala Lanu Moshe. So the Talmud says, Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe, Torah gematria, what's the gematria of the word, Torah? Quickly, quickly. 611, be close, 611, 611, 611 mitzvot were given to us by Moshe, and two we heard straight from God, the first two of the Ten Commandments were heard straight from God, so Thomas says we have 613 commandments, the only problem is, it does not list these commandments, there is no list in the Talmud of 613 commandments, and therefore all the major authorities in the Middle Ages—that was one of the biggest debates—what comprised the 613 commandments? So Rama has his list, and he tells you his uh, his, his reasoning. These are the criteria for including these as a mitzvah Interesting, very fascinating. His—I mean, I gave a class once on the criteria of counting things as commandments, because the Torah says many things. So certain things are only for a certain period. For example, all the laws of gathering the manna. The Rambam says these are not mitzvot for generations, and therefore I don't count them. Mitzvot, when they're given for a certain time. I do not count them as mitzvot in the 630 mitzvot. So again, if you look at the Rambam Sefer Mitzvot, you'll find the Ramban, Nachmanides, argues with them on certain mitzvot. And he is Ramban, Ramban has his own list. Rambam has his own list. There's a few discrepancies between 14, 15, 26 altogether. I think. But there are other opinions about what the Sefer Mitzvot are. So anyway, so Rambam first of all talks about the Mitzvot. And then he builds his Halachot around the Mitzvot. So his his first preface... Let's go to Hilchot De'ot. If everyone has a book in there. You know what? This book does not bring down his preface. Good. That's why you need the Hebrew book. So let's talk about the preface of Rambam's Sefer Hilchot De'ot, which is the laws of character traits. And that is that and the Rambam says, 248 mitzvot, positive commandments, 365 negative mitzvot. And uh, the definition of our intellectual and emotional development in terms of mitzvot, so we want ourselves to develop emotionally. And no one talks about this. Rambam talks about this. Now, Chalchot is our emotional development. How should a Jew develop emotionally? How should a Jew develop character-wise? It's interesting because a Jew can, you grow up as a Jew and live for 60 years and not hear about the Ramah. And this Ramah is so fundamental. If I had the power to teach, every Jewish child should know this. It should be taught in schools. They should learn it in schools, it, which solve a lot of issues. Psychological issues and, and growing up issues. Um, so it's very, very fundamental. It's very good. We're learning it. We can learn it. We can teach it to our children, teach it to our husbands even. If you can, if they want to listen, uh, very, 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 very important, very, very important for personal growth. Um, so man does not need to search for a program of personal growth. Hashem gave man a path to grow intellectually and emotionally, and use their potentials for service of God. That's the idea. The idea is we have potential, right? We have emotional potential. We have spiritual potential. We have character potential. How do we put everything together? Where is the blueprints? of growth in these areas. And the answer is, Raman brings them for us. And he culls them from the mitzvah. So this is Hilkhot Deyot, the laws of personality development. Imagine. Imagine, a child's growing up, what I do with my life? Well, here's the laws of personality development. This is how God wants you to evolve as a person. Wow. Who said this? It's a course of behavior development, structured by God, to enable us to become more sensitive and refined. Wow. So this is part of Jewish law where is it Jewish law where do you find this so it's part of Pirkei Avot right but which, which laws in the Torah apply to this so you'll find this in the English commentary it's interesting it doesn't, it doesn't talk about it so I'm just going to commit to you from here which is the original text of the Mishnah Torah number one the Torah says that you should you should uh, be like Hashem be like God how do you be like God we're going to talk about that <coughs> number two it says you cling to God. How do you apply that? Number three, it says, What does that mean? How, does, how do you apply that? Love your friend as yourself. Number four, it says, "Love strangers." You will love the converts. How do you apply that? Number five, it says, Don't hate your brother in your heart. How do you apply that? Number six, it says, You will rebuke your fellow. How do you apply that? Number seven, it says, don't turn his face white. That's how the rabbis explain it. Don't shame someone in public. How do you apply that? Number eight, it says, not to afflict the poor, and the orphans, the widows. How do you apply that? Number, uh, what number are you on? Nine. Nine, it says, A talebearer bearer should not walk amongst you. Today we know, the, this is before the Chavetz Chaim came along. The Chavitz Chaim made this into famous laws of Lashon HaRa. Before this, no one heard of it. Why? Because no one talked about it. It's only one line that the Chulchan Aruch. The Rambam says, I'm going to talk about it. These are laws of character traits. Number 10, it says, don't take vengeance. How do you apply that? Who talks about it? Rambam talks about it. Uh, and number 11, it says, lo Tor, Lo be So different kinds of vengeance, which we're going to talk about. And that's where the Rambam brings his, his, his sources in the mitzvot. So altogether, 11 mitzvot in the Torah, out of 613, talk about character traits. So now we have a foundation. Now we have a source in the Torah. So what does God say to improve your character traits? We just gave you 11 sources. These are 11 sources of improvement of character traits. It's quite a list. It's, it's 11. Out of 613, it's not many. right? It's not even 10%. 10%, all right. it's not even it's 10% it's the harder ones it's what you have to think about and work on as opposed to the wrong thing 100% oh, thou shalt not kill and, that's, and that's why not. and that's why we need a text to guide us and that's what Ramam does he provides us with a text to guide us in these 11 mitzvot how you do it so number one he starts off with a very very important idea a very basic idea which we have to try and internalize which we don't internalize because we always judge people based on our outlooks and our feelings we are judging other people based on who we are. Mm-hmm. Raman says, cool. First thing we have to realize is we're all different. And we all think differently. And it's amazing. Like even though two brothers or two sisters or two siblings, and their heads work differently and they think Absolutely. differently. This is wild. If you think about it, if you look at the Torah. You have Cain and Hevel, Adam and Chava. Same parents. The two children are two radical opposites. You have uh, Rivka and Itzhak. And they have two children, Esav and Yaakov. Radically different, totally different characters. And this is a very important fundamental. Human relationships is the first thing is, I can't judge you because I, can't, I don't know what's going on in your mind. I can't think like you. You don't think like me. So we always lecture to our children, but the fact is our children don't think like us. And even though we, they come from us, parts of them are from us, but they don't think like us. They're like some kind of combo... And sometimes this combination produces, I don't know what, mutations that, that we kind of define. <laughs> aliens. Aliens, right? I didn't say aliens. Insanity and sanity isn't get it from your children. Okay. So first thing we have to realize, look, that's what he says. The first thing, the first introduction is, <laughs> that everyone is different. Everyone has different ways of thinking. Everyone has different character traits. name is zoo totally different from each other and so there, you have two people even raised in the same house could be so different amazing one could be so kind and compassionate one could be so into their learning one could be so stable one could be sober and nice and the other could be a wild animal Esau and Yaakov and they were twins and they were twins even worse <laughs> my son calls his twins yin and yang oh gosh that's it <laughs> they're so different that's what Rambam said exactly what Rambam said right at the beginning the says listen my kids are like me This I stereotype them like me and why are they doing these things they're like me right they're all like you Raman says straight away they do not like you so everyone is different and everyone has different personality traits built into them through their DNA somehow so, some kids are very angry inside all the time some kids are very placid that's what he tells us some people are very angry all the time some people are very placid and very calm and they don't get angry at all and if they do get angry they're angry very little sometimes once in every 10 years they get angry just keep away when they do Okay. <laughs> some people are very proud But some people are very humble so again these everyone is different it's interesting to see the, people, the kids are born different it's inside their genes um, it's interesting a person should know who they really are how do you know who you really are and the answer is were you like when you were a kid if you can think as far back as you can. Baruch Hashem, we forget these parts. Yeah. But some people have good memories. They think thinking back to the age of three. I've got a son who's like, here he says, I remember everything in great detail from the age of ten on. In great detail. I can tell you exactly. We were looking at pictures last night. He says, 1999. I said, God, how do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> this happened in 1999. He has dates and everything. From the age of ten on, he says, I remember everything. And I tell you, the date, what happened, exactly what happened. So, but most of us don't remember these things. So who were we as kids growing up? Were we nice kids? Were we nasty kids? Were we mean kids? I, I don't talk about myself. okay? <laughs> uh, as a kid. Okay. So that's who we really are. That's who the, how real personalities are before we modify them. And we can modify them. So we have to know that we are here to modify personalities. We are here, as the Vilna Gaon says, the main pur- purpose of a person is to fix their personality traits. The main purpose of a person in this world very hard to understand this right the main purpose of a person in this world is to fix our personality traits that's a beautiful book it's my, part of my bedtime reading before going to sleep is the Vilna Gaon Evan Schlema you have to get a hold of that book What is it? Evan Schlema mm-hmm. the perfect stone Evan Schlema uh, Vilna Gaon Evan Schlema it's a small book you got get it in English and Hebrew we have, a, we have a few copies hanging around here I don't know where they are now because we did have a class on it. Maybe we may do that class again. And Evan Shlema, it's a very brilliant book by the, by the Bill Gaon, where he goes into this, and there he says in his introduction, the main purpose of a person in this world is to fix their personality traits. What we're learning about now is really the main purpose of a person in this world. Why is that our main purpose? Because the answer is, who is the person? Who are we? And the answer is, who are we? We are the sum total of our personality traits. A person is the sum total of, a, of their personality traits. If you're an angry person, that's who you are. You are anger. Part of you is anger. That's who you are. But it's immoral, that's who they are. It's a part of their personality traits. So a person's got to fix their personality traits because they're fixing themselves. Our purpose is to fix ourselves. Tikkun olam starts with tikkun of the olam. Of ourselves, our world. Our world starts. Right? Rabbi Sala Salanta says, when I started growing up and growing, he says, I'm going to change the world. When I grew up, I said, I can't change the world, I'll change my town. When I grew up, I said, I can't change my town, I'll change my family. When I grew up, I said, I can't change my family, let me try and change myself. Change myself. Yeah. And that's really what Tikkun Olam is all about. It's first starting with oneself. And then, role model. You have to say anything. person is perfect, people will look at them and say, wow, I don't want to be like that person when I grow up. That's really, the, that's really the key. That's really the Jewish way of changing the world is not by preaching. The Jews don't change the world by preaching. As you know, we don't try and change the world by preaching. We try and change the world through role modeling, which sometimes works, sometimes does work. Sometimes that's a tragedy. Sometimes Kiddush Hashem, sometimes it's Hashem. That's why Kiddush Hashem is so bad, because it ruins the whole purpose. The whole purpose is to be Kiddush Hashem, to sanctify God's name and not to desecrate God's name. But no one's perfect. Nobody's perfect. No one claims to be perfect. No human being can come along and say, I am perfect because that Shlomo Melech says <laughs> there's no such thing as a righteous person never sinned no such thing as a, person, a righteous person never sinned you're all imperfect only Hashem is perfect <laughs> God's works are perfect man's works are not perfect ok so that's why in Judaism there's no saints there's no thing as a saint you don't say saint rabbi so and so saint um, that's a different religion there's no thing as a saint Excuse me, yes. how could people, I mean, aren't there people who have a happier child than another one? And yes. So that, you said some people are angry, changed, yes. but maybe they weren't angry and something happened in their life that made them angry. It could be, yes. So we can't, mm-hmm. so... But so, the question is, who you are really is who you're born. That's okay. your DNA. Born. And then we change. We evolve, and we're going to talk about how we change. So, and all the different yes. impacts on who we are, what changes us. Peer pressure is very big, education is very big, you know, these different things that affect the person, that change the person. But we have to know also by learning and by studying and learning Musara, we, we can change ourselves. We can improve ourselves. And that's really the purpose. That's what Vandal Ghan says. The purpose of a person in this world is to fix themselves and then worry about the rest. <laughs> Let's fix myself. It's interesting because it really works. This, this system really works. When the children see their parents really working on themselves, and guarding their own tempers and not reacting harshly and this and that, it does help the children. It helps, it definitely helps the how children. How do you find out... When there's love born? in the family, it helps the children. How will you find out who you're born? You're born... Think back in your memory. When you're a month uh, old? I'm, I'm just calling you wrong. I mean, that's how you're born? You don't know, but ask your, ask your mother, was I a nice kid? You, nursery, you! You yes, trouble me the most! Right. <laughs> By the way, this <laughs> happen to be the best kids, usually. The ones that trouble you the most for their kids the kids turn into really the best kids. No Oh, I so different yeah. One of the best examples of children and parents changing is when the father, for instance, goes back to school and yes, 100%. urging her yes. on how they are. Some kids you gave more they attention, attention more. to, some kids you gave less attention good or bad. to. No, just saying that that's who you are. Oh, the children that's the parents. Right, there's no good and bad. No one's born good and no one's born bad. We're born neutral. Oh, we're born neutral. We didn't oh, do anything yet. Good. Which is why we do not require baptism. One of the reasons, okay, (laughs) because they are born with sin. Okay, there's no original sin in Judaism. There's no original sin, but there was there was a big mess, which we are also part of our tikkun is to fix the mess of Adam and Havah That's a big thing in Kabbalah, is to fix the tikkun of Adam and Havah Well, they messed up in the world at the the, right beginning. Our job is to fix the the effects. Okay, so uh, this is very interesting, fascinating Rambam that we're all different. Number one, we're very, very different number two is each one has different character traits embedded into them from the beginning before they even work on themselves they have to know what their original character traits are so some people are very angry from birth some people are very proud from birth some people are very humble from birth some people are very placid from birth some people have tremendous desires and they're never satisfied and some people are very pure they don't have certain desires I observed when I was a kid I, observed, I tell you, the best people I knew were my, my, my aunts and my uncles good hearts I have never seen people with good hearts. They'll give you the shirt off their back. I mean, you see people like that. They're born pure, They're, there's purity inside, which obviously they got from their parents. But uh, some people are born very desirous and you know today's a very competitive world so. so it comes really for a lot from a, a lot comes from the parents, it comes from the thoughts Ramban Ramban Ahmanidhi says, it comes to the thoughts a person had when they brought the child into the world, when they conceived the child. The thoughts a parent has are very, very critical to conceive uh, the child. Rabbi, I yes. I think that Amunah has a lot to do with changing your personality. Baruch Hashem, yes. Mm. So, uh, that's what Jewish law is all about, really. What is the bottom line of Jewish law? To make us better people. person forgets, you know, I'm keeping the Jewish law. Ramban says, Kedoshim to you, be holy. Why? It says you can be a pig in the, in the permission of the Torah. A person can be a kosher pig. A person who overeats, a glutton, a person who has desires it's all allowed in Jewish law you can have 100 wives in Jewish law a man is allowed to have 100 wives there's no limits the Raman says keep it to 4 that was in the time of the Arabs he had, uh, he had, uh, so, so a person can be a, a, a mean person within the limits of Jewish law pushing Jewish law to the limits is it it's, uh, it's allowed? it's a word of line, is it the spirit of the Jewish law? no it's not the spirit of Jewish law spirit, the spirit of Jewish law is to make us better people make us holier people but a person can be unholy and keep Jewish law. It's interesting. How? Look at the Ramban. A person can swear. What does the Torah say? You're not allowed to swear. Uh, use bad language, filthy language. How, what does the Torah say? You're not allowed to overeat. All these. A person can be Jewish and be a kosher pig. Naval So our idea is no. Ramban says no. We're going we're to talk about That's exactly what we're going to talk about, is how to perfect one's personality. And we're just starting this uh, topic, and we'll continue next week, Bezra Hashem, because it's very topical. Because next week, we have to realize we're going to fast on Tisha Bav, and the reason for the You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com.